It's off to the movies on this week's show as we touch base with a personal connection of mine who has done quite nicely for himself in the film industry. His name is David Stickler. David and I first got acquainted way back in 2006 at the mighty Western Kentucky University. And uh, David was actually my RA in the dorm there in Bowling Green for a little over two years. And he was a television production major at the time, and I knew that he was destined for great things. And sure enough, shortly after he graduated, he began serving as a production assistant, which he did for several films. Eventually, he earned himself a spot in the Director's Guild, and most recently... David served as an assistant director for a movie called The Fablemans, which a number of you may have already seen in theaters. It's uh, directed and co-written by Steven Spielberg, and it's definitely worth seeing if you haven't already. But how do you get your foot in the door in that tough industry, and how do you work your way up? How did David first discover his passion for such a thing? Well, the answers to these and many, many more questions are staring you right in the face on this week's Blabbed in the Bluegrass, it is Season 7, Episode 8, and it starts right now. Kentucky features so much more than basketball and horses. We're home to scenic spectacles and one-of-a-kind golf courses. If boating, fishing, dining, or music is your pleasure, we'll guide you to the sights and sounds that you will truly treasure. Cause we're blabbing, blabbing in the bluegrass. There's nothing here to hide, cause we're saying it with pride. Just a blabbing, blabbing in the bluegrass. With knowledge of the state, you're sure to appreciate. Yes, we're blabbing, blabbing in the bluegrass. Where musicians furnish talent and great whiskey cools your palate. Just a blabbing, blabbing in the bluegrass. With a fit for every taste, precious time is not to waste. From Whitesville to Whitesburg, White City to White Plains, we dearly love the whites as well as the other beautiful colors showcased throughout this great state. And we do our best to celebrate these as well as everything else that makes this Commonwealth such a great place to visit and or call home right here and only here on blabbing in the bluegrass exploration and celebration of all things kentucky with me sam moore here at the exotic extraordinary north quail motel in beautiful henderson ky and boy did i have a blast getting reconnected with mr david stickler who i had been privileged to uh, call a friend since 2006 but you know how it is. You graduate college, you go your separate ways, and you naturally tend to sort of lose touch, at least temporarily, with the people that you get to know and grow close to. But uh, through a mutual friend of David's and myself, Mr. Brian Oaks, we were able to uh, get reunited via Zoom. And little did I know, until I became friends with both Brian and David, that those two were high school classmates. And so I've kept in a pretty close touch with Brian since we graduated. And he, you know, kept me informed about David and all of his uh, big doings in the movie industry. I thought, gosh, I got to talk to that guy. So uh, Brian got me some contact info. And luckily, David was uh, ready and willing to step in and be my guest. Boy, was it a pleasure 
talking with him, and you will reap the benefits of that excellent, excellent conversation momentarily to supplement everything he's done as far as being a uh, production assistant and assistant director. He uh, also owned and operated an independent film company for a few of the years that he was a student at Western. So he was, you know, pulling double duty there, to say the least, while he was in school. And we will hear more about that as we go along as well. So you definitely don't want to miss any of this show. Kick back, but don't go to sleep. Get your caffeine and uh, hang with us. You won't need any help staying awake. David is quite entertaining, and I know that you will enjoy him as much as I enjoyed him. But before... We get to David, we have a bluegrass brain buster as we try to have for you each and every week. So we'll give you the question now, and at the end of the show, it will be answered. Now, we don't have exactly a rich history here in Kentucky as far as uh, filmmaking is concerned, but there is some there, and I would like to know which movie was partially filmed in good old Union County, Kentucky, way back in the 1950s. Again, I would like to know which movie was partially filmed in Union County, Kentucky, way back in the mid-1950s. You think on that, get the juices flowing, and we will let you know after Stickler and I blab. Sam Moore proudly presents his Commonwealth Crowd Pleaser. Well, today I am privileged to have with me a man who... uh, I've known and, uh, you know, gotten acquainted with uh, over the past, well, I guess, I guess almost 17 years now off and on, but uh, he's become quite a fixture in the film and television industry. He has filled a variety of uh, producing and directing duties for a number of television shows and films that many of you have uh, undoubtedly heard of, including most recently uh, a Steven Spielberg film known as The Fablemans, which you might have seen in theaters. So here to tell us how he uh, discovered his passion for production and, uh, you know, where the bug first bit him and his various experiences uh, in the industry. Just a few. I mean, to talk about them all, we'd have to probably be here (laughs) maybe till midnight tonight, but... He has graciously agreed to join us direct via Zoom from his home in Los Angeles. Let's welcome Louisville, Kentucky native David Stickler. Hey, thank you so much, Sam. I really appreciate you having me on, brother. Uh, it's scary when you say that it's been almost 17 years. I don't know what that means for us. I think that means we're getting old. No, of course not. <laughs> of course not. You're all <laughs> you're always young and hard. Age ain't nothing but a number. But uh, but I tell you, uh, you were my uh, RA at Western Kentucky University, and that's how we got to know each other. We'll spare the listeners uh, most of the stories of what went on there on the third floor of Barnes Campbell and in Northeast Hall because you were tasked with the opportunity of putting up with me not one but a little over two years so yes you know what Sam I it's still one of my favorite stories to tell um when you and I first met we we met on the floor I had to give like the first RA meeting and uh, I was nervous I had you know I'd never done this before and now I've got all these freshman guys looking at me like we don't really want to listen to you, but here we are. 
And, you know, we were having all these discussions. I was welcoming everybody to the floor saying, hey, if you need anything, let me know, you know, and then I gave out like a few rules. And I don't know if you remember this, but I gave out a few rules. I said, hey, you know, drugs, alcohol, things like that, not inside, not on the floor. We can't have it. Um, I was like, and I told everybody, I said, hey, there are plenty of places off campus at these parties with the fraternities and sororities that you'll have the opportunity that if you, you know, want to go and have a good time, that's where you should go. Just don't bring it on the floor. And Sam, without missing a beat, you chimed in with, and if anybody needs a designated driver, I got you. <laughs> and everyone had just met, you know, like 10 minutes before this. And it was, I loved it. I loved it. It like broke the ice immediately for me. It made me feel more comfortable. It made everybody kind of come together. And I think we had a really good floor of, of, of guys and uh, you know, your, your love, your character, your energy and your personality have always shined through in everything that you do. And um, yeah, even since day one from knowing you, it was, it was an absolute pleasure and it's, you know, we've been laughing ever since it's been great. Well, I, I'd forgotten that comment, but I'll tell you why I do remember that uh, initial floor meeting. I was nervous too, because it was um, my first night at, at Western, but we're sure glad that, uh, that you joined us, David. Now in your early years, there were undoubtedly a handful of shows and films that sort of won your heart and, and helped to inspire your, your ultimate career path there, David. So uh, just out of curiosity, what were some of those favorites of yours in the movie and television yeah. show department as a child? Yeah, you know, for me, it was, it was probably the same as a lot of people. Um, anything Steven Spielberg I grew up on, you know, every, I wanted to be Indiana Jones. I wanted to find an alien and, and you know, be E.T. and uh, ride a bike that I could fly with an alien sitting in the basket. Um, you know, Hook was always a, a crowd favorite of mine as a kid growing up. Um, anything that Steven touched to me was pretty much gold. And uh, as a kid, that's what I remembered. It, it was, you know, these movies that it, that had a lot of heart, had a lot of family, um, but had adventures. And for, for a kid, that was it. You know, you could imagine and you could play. And, and um, so that's kind of where I gained my love for, for filmmaking and, and to, to know that I really wanted to be, you know, kind of go down that path. Um, I'd, I'd have to blame and thank Steven all at the same time for, for those right. movies and um, all amazing movies, all amazing movies that still hold up today. But uh, for me, that, that would be the start it would be See, anything that Steven touched. And when you were marveling at those Steven Spielberg movies as a youngster, little did you know that you would ultimately end up working with him. <laughs> yeah. You know, that was, uh, <laughs> that was, a, that was truly a dream come true. And it's been, uh, it's been an adventure and and kind of a this weekend alone has been just a whirlwind. No wonder your life sucks a whirlwind. You just moved into um, your your house there in LA, you told me, and you still have a house in Atlanta. So you sort of go back and forth between both places. And uh, speaking of the wife, you two just got married. You and Hannah last, was it September, October? Yeah, so we... Um... Yeah, we're all over the place, Sam. It's crazy. Um, I, I keep telling myself it's going to slow down at some point, and uh, it has not in all the best ways. But, you know, I think I would like a little extra sleep at some point. Um, but, yeah, we got married in we got married in May. So we got married May 29th. Um, and, you know, it. we got married. We met in New Orleans. We got married in New Orleans. And we 
we both work in the film industry and TV. And so as soon as we got married, we basically, uh, you know, we said hi, bye, and then, and left. So I, she got on a plane and went to Puerto Rico to work. And I went on a plane and had to go back to uh, Los Angeles to keep working on the TV show that I was working on at the time. So, you know, we had no honeymoon. We legitimately after the wedding, like the day after the wedding, we're both on planes and we're both heading away from each other. And that's, that's sadly, uh, kind of what our life is like. Um, but you know, thank goodness that we both understand that we both support each other. We both have each other's back and, uh, you know, she's my, she's my biggest cheerleader and, uh, I could not do any of this that I've had the fortune to do without, without her or people like her, you know, she's been there the entire time just, um, saying, you know, you got to take that movie. And I'm like, well, that movie means I'm away for a year and a half. And she's like, yeah, but you got to take that movie, you know? And so it's, uh, it's hard. It's very hard on her. I have no doubt. It's very hard on both of us as a couple, but, um, knowing that somebody is in your corner and cheering you on makes, makes it a little bit easier. Uh, at times when you're when you're alone and you're sad and you know you just you just kind of just call that person and they just keep cheering you on and as long as you hear that you know it, it kind of helps you get through it so you gotta love a wife that's respectful of uh, of your endeavors and supportive and you know it makes your time together all the more special when you don't get a whole lot of it so <laughs> definitely <laughs> you definitely, know, definitely definitely yeah don't uh don't take it for granted. Now, uh, David, you and I have a, uh, well, we have several mutual friends, but one in particular is um, wild man Brian Oaks, and he was my yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> my next door neighbor at uh, at Northeast Hall for for a few years. And anyway, you and Brian were uh, classmates at uh, Fern Creek High School, and I've heard all kinds of stories from your your television production class. Television production class, I know, was uh, was taught by the legendary Mr. Barrows. And I know you, yeah. Brian, and um, several others had a, a big old barrel of fun there. But uh, anyhow, you, you produced and, and, you know, helped out with the school newscast, obviously. Talk about some of the other exciting projects that you were involved in as part of uh, Mr. Barrows' class. Yeah, you know, the the great thing about Fern Creek Traditional High School when while I was there and while Brian and I were there was the fact that a teacher like Steve Boros, they gave us a chance. So they gave us a chance to pitch projects, to pitch ideas, to help grow the program. And one of them that we pitched was a sports, a sports program. You know, I felt like that was missing from within our high school. I thought, okay, well, this is great. You know, we're covering news. Uh, we're covering events throughout the school. We're covering, you know, all these things. I thought that, well, that's great. But, you know, one thing we're missing is we have a fantastic sports program. And I loved ESPN, of course. I'm a big sports guy. So, oh, sure. um, so I thought, you know what, why don't I pitch the idea that we bring a sports program to our news section and to the high school? And Mr. Boros was completely on board with it. He helped uh he helped us get credentials to get into events so we didn't have to pay as students. And, you know, we, we went around and did everything. You know, we would film swim meets. We would film, obviously, basketball, football. We'd interview the coaches, interview players. Um, and it became fun. But, you know, we, we also were blessed at that time to have some pretty amazing athletes um, through many different programs, sports programs. So that helped us kind of sell the, the program a little bit um, to have these men and women 
be on TV at, within the halls. And, and the players loved it. The coaches loved it. You know, it was great. And the students loved it. They got to see if they couldn't go to a game. They got to see the highlights. The players felt like they were on Sports Center. You know, it was uh, it was kind of a fun a fun thing to to put within the school and within an already great program just to add like a little bit of flavor to it. And so, yeah, for for somebody like Mr. Boros to take a chance on a bunch of high school kids pitching ideas, I thought that was pretty incredible um, of him to have that kind of trust. Yeah, that uh, that was fun for the athletes and fun for the other students, like you said, that that might not have have gotten to uh, go to the games. Now, one thing, speaking of sports, one thing that Stickler and I have in common is that we're both hilltoppers that pull for the Wildcats. So, you know, (laughs) definitely no shame in that. And uh, you played basketball there at Fern Creek, too, didn't you? I did. Yeah, I played it. Played in my middle school, and then I played. I played as a kid growing up. I love. I have an absolute love for for basketball and sports in general, but definitely, definitely basketball. And so I played high school basketball over at Fern Creek. Um, loved it. Loved my time there. Loved everything that I was able to get involved in within that high school. Um, yeah. But at some point, you know, I just had to make had to make a choice on where I wanted to go and what I wanted to continue to get involved in. You know, at some point you just put too many things in a basket and, and then, you know, you lose sight of really where you should be going within a direction. And so for me, I, I changed course and went ahead and said, you know what, let me just put more energy and time and focus into uh, TV production, into film, into news, into, you know, those programs and uh, probably a better choice. Well. <laughs> I had a pretty good jump shot. I had a pretty good jump shot, but uh, probably the better choice is uh is what i'm doing now well i'd say that path definitely paid off now mr uh mr barros couldn't get you credentials in the rep arena could he oh no lord no i <laughs> wish i would have been there i would have been there every day sam they would have had to throw me out you wouldn't have missed the game would you <laughs> no definitely not you know I, I still get frustrated i you know uh i missed the I missed the Tennessee game yesterday and that, that bothered me. Uh, but you know, it's, it's, no, they would have had to, they would have had to throw me out of there. I'm telling you, well, since they won and beat Tennessee, you know, you might not have to, you might not want to watch any of the rest of the games either. <laughs> I know. I was going to say at this point, maybe I've been the problem this season. I don't know. I don't know, oh, man. We goodness. are, uh, we are a streaky, streaky team, but I'm telling uh, you, two, it's two good wins, two good wins against Tennessee this year. Yeah. Two good wins against Tennessee. And hopefully we can build on those in the, in the latter part of the year. Now you're, um, I'll tell you your production experience, like we said, began in high school. And as you were wrapping up your senior year, David, at Fern Creek and transitioning into college, you fulfilled acting roles in a couple of 2005 movies. So I'd like for you, if you would, to tell us a little bit about those movies as well as um, the uh, respective roles that you fulfilled in each. And let's start with the movie entitled The Mini. Yeah, you know, so it's so funny, man. Like I, um, I wanted to do anything. Again, there's not a lot of film and TV that comes in to Louisville comes into Kentucky in general and I knew I just needed to get my foot in the door somewhere and I didn't care how that was you know I didn't know if it was going to be behind the camera front of the camera whatever it was so anytime I would see any kind of audition pop up anything like that um, a lot of the stuff that I did early on was strictly just background work you know I would just go in and just be a background artist in the movies and 
that that was good enough for me because it gave me a chance to get on a set. It gave me a chance to learn. It gave me a chance to get with people that were doing what I wanted to do. And, um, and I think that's, I think that's big for anybody. And what I tell people all the time, students, when I go back to WKU and talk, is just get your foot in the door. You know, it doesn't matter. Just get your foot in the door. It may not be what you want to do to start, but get your foot in the door and then figure out what you truly want to do and how to get there. Uh, and so for me early on, that was that. It was just the mini was a, um, was a silly little um, like movie, I think. It was like a comedy movie. Oh my gosh, it's so long ago. It was a comedy movie about like a mattress salesman and there was like a marathon, a mini marathon at the end and this whole thing. But I, again, I was just like a background artist in there. So I'm just running in the scene. I was like part of the mini marathon scene. Um, there were probably a few other ones, but it was mainly mainly just background roles just to get my foot in the door and gain, gain some knowledge. So you were, you know, you were an extra, but you made your, uh, your presence felt. Now was that movie filmed entirely in Louisville? No, you know, that one was, that one was in, uh, I feel like it was in maybe Ohio, maybe some in Kentucky. It was parts of, I would say probably Kentucky and Ohio, okay. uh, if I remember correctly. So all reasonably close then. And, yeah. uh, that worked out nicely for you. And another movie in which you uh, fulfilled the role of an extra was one known as Drip. Yeah, that one, um, the director was extremely nice and allowed me to ask a lot of questions. Um, and again, that was what it was for me. It was just an opportunity to be in something, to gain knowledge and to meet people. And uh, I think I was just like a background extra in a scene of like college students or something. It was again, maybe Kentucky area, Ohio area. It was all kind of regional. Um, yeah, reasonable driving distance. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but but again, it, it, early on, it was just how can I get my questions answered? How could I get my foot in the door? That's all I cared about to start. And so, yeah, a lot of the early on projects were, were just that. We're just gaining knowledge and hustling. Yeah, and thank goodness that you had, you know, a director that was eager and willing to answer your questions, and you you learned a lot there as well. Now, uh, as you were majoring in uh, television production at Western Kentucky University, David, you owned and operated an independent film company called Misdirection Pictures, LLC. Now, I know that your work extended far beyond feature films, so uh, fill us in, if you would, on the... Uh, specialties of your company along with the uh, misdirection's most notable achievements sir yeah and you know it was uh again i'm gonna say it it was where if you're a kid that wants to do film and tv and you want to make projects and you want to have opportunities how do you do it right so like my family didn't come from a lot of money i didn't have any connections I had a little bit of knowledge and I had a lot of great friends who had a lot more knowledge. And so I thought, you know what, let's just kind of put us all together and see what we can do. And, you know, within graduating college, what do you do next? Do you just go work at a TV station? Do you go work for news? Do you, you know, what do you do? And I thought, well, you know, in the meantime, I can start this LLC. I can start this company. I can do weddings. I can make some money there. I can um, gain more experience using the equipment. Um, I can do little commercials. I can shoot things for um, music videos for people. You know, 
and that's really what it became was just a means to make some money, um, to have a job that wasn't so much nine to five that gave me more freedom, but it also kept me within what I wanted to do and gave me the opportunity to learn and grow and not have to be stuck behind. Uh, for me, being stuck behind a desk is, is just like, it's like aging my crazy. Like I just, yeah, I just, you know, I need, I have way too much energy and I need, I need to not be just like stationed at a desk. It's just, it's, it's bad for me. So, so I, uh, you know, this, this gave me that, yeah, this gave me that opportunity and flexibility. And again, it's, um, everybody starts somewhere. And so for me, it was like, okay, this kind of checks a few boxes and allows me to, to not be stuck behind a desk. It allows me to make some money, gain some knowledge and do my own, my own projects. Yeah. So you started that, uh, I guess, was it right about the time you started at Western as a freshman? You know, I probably started it. I probably started either that year or maybe a couple of years after, um, maybe about halfway through at WKU and then continued it um, not too much longer after that. Probably continued it for maybe another year and a half and then and then finally shut it down um, because other other opportunities came up. Yeah, and there's just not enough of David Stickler to go around. But but anyway, uh, <laughs> I tell you, you you talked about commercials that you uh, – help put together as part of, you know, when you were the owner operator of Misdirection LLC, were most of those like local commercials that were seen in the Louisville market? Yeah, definitely, definitely local. Definitely. Um, during that time, it was like trying to, I was trying to tap into different companies with branding out, uh, branching out from not just like a TV standard, but a social media standard, right? Like, so we were really pushing back then, which makes me sound old. Back then, you know, we didn't have all of these different Instagrams and things like that. So um, YouTube was big. And so just kind of getting companies on a smaller, cheaper platform, allowing them still to be able to get out some advertisements was was kind of what we were doing and what we were helping helping companies do. Yeah, and that was, you know, a very important role that I know your uh, your clients appreciated. Now, speaking of commercials on a larger scale, you had the honorable opportunity, David, to uh, lend your experience or your expertise to a, uh, a Mercedes-Benz Soul commercial, which was seen during the Super Bowl at the end of the 2012 NFL season. So uh, take us through your, your primary uh, duties as a production assistant for the commercial along with the uh, excitement that you undoubtedly felt in the creation of a national advertisement. Yeah, that was, uh, I just kind of moved to New Orleans about that time. I'd been there maybe, oh Lord, I don't know, maybe a year or so. So I had not been there long and I got this opportunity to work on a Super Bowl commercial and I thought, well, this will be interesting. I'd never worked on a commercial before as a production assistant. And uh, I, I found out very quickly I didn't enjoy it. I didn't enjoy it. Oh, um, really? There, yeah, you know, I, I mean, shooting the commercial and being a part of that and being a part of the process, again, amazing. But there are different aspects of a production assistant and the job and the title and what they ask you to do for commercials that they don't ask you to do for television or film. And I, one of them, one of them was driving so these massive like box trucks 
and uh, which is fine. I can, I can drive a box truck, but the problem was is they wanted you to drive it with all this equipment in the back. They wanted you to drive it through the streets of New Orleans. And anyone oh. who has been to New Orleans and knows that driving a car on these, you know, pothole streets, tight streets down in the French Quarter. Yeah, a little nerve-wracking. <laughs> little nerve-wracking. And for somebody who just moved there, I'm like, I don't even know my way around. I don't know what I'm doing, nor should I be driving this truck. So I was, I, this probably, that was probably like the first and last commercial I ever did. I was like, you know what? I'll end here on this Super Bowl commercial. I'm good. Thank you. You know, I, I did maybe like a couple more after that, but I made sure that when they called me to, to ask me about, oh, can you work this other commercial or whatever? I, I told them, I said, I will, but I'm not driving a truck. So I'll do anything else you ask, but I'm not doing that. Because I just was like, trust me, if you want your equipment to arrive safely, I'm not the person you want to drive it. <laughs> so, yeah, it was an honor to be a part of the commercial, but you knew that that wasn't the uh, the avenue that you wanted to stick with long term. No, no, not, you know, again, early on, it was just, I had said yes to any any job in filmmaking and commercials oh. and TV. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you kind of like, okay, you put that in the back pocket. And you're like, all right, I did that. But if I get the opportunity to do another one, maybe I'll just kind of say, hey, happy to do it, but this, you know, and, yeah. and that's what I did. With some stipulations. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah, I, I understand that. Well, uh, good experience anyway. And I tell you, 2012 was um, – a big year for you, sir, because also that same year you served as a field production assistant for uh, American Idol during the New Orleans auditions in the uh, the 2012 season. So talk about uh, what exactly this entailed and describe what it was like to work and mingle with Ryan Seacrest and the judges. <laughs> so, I mean... Oh boy. Uh, again, early on, just had gotten into New Orleans, just, uh, just was still trying to get my foot in the door and say yes to any project. American Idol came in, they were looking for production assistance to help out with it. Um, I said, of course, yeah, I'll do it. I'm just not going to drive a truck. Right. <laughs> uh, they said, okay, sounds good. And so what the job was for me was, uh, this was like, what part of the stage was this? This was early audition stages there was all this like massive cattle call of people so all these people were out there everybody's you know trying to get in to get in line to sing their hearts out to try to get on american american idol and sure uh they hand me i i go in and they hand me uh they hand me some scissors and they say hey just you know take these scissors and sit in that chair right there i'm like oh okay great yeah, this is awesome and i said well what do i do and they said well people are going to come in and sing and if they're good and we pass them on to the next round, they'll go over to that guy. And they're like, okay. And they're like, if they're bad, they're going to come to you and you have to use the scissors and cut the wristband off of their wrist. So that way we know they've been eliminated. And I'm like, I'm sorry. I get to be the guy that has to tell basically the bad news that they've not been selected. Like me cutting off the wristband off their wrist was like the final goodbye to them. Um, so I had to deal with a lot of unhappy people, a lot of people yeah, crying. Yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> uh, it was hysterical. It was absolutely hysterical. I mean, I felt bad for the people, but once it caught on that, like, oh, if you go see the guy with the scissors, it means you didn't make it. Um, and so people just would not want to come my way. And they're like, 
you know, can you get me another chance? I'm like, I can't get you another chance. I'm the guy with the scissors. Like I'm not, I have no pull in any of this. So um, it was, it was an adventure. I only did it. Um, I think my IMDB probably has it wrong. It has it like that. I've worked on like 27 seasons of it or something. I promise I have not. Um, I did it one, one season, one time, all within the new Orleans portion of it. And again, just kind of a fun experience of getting to do something new and, um, it's definitely something I've never done done since, but yeah. everybody starts somewhere. Exactly. And I guess everybody has to be the, the bad guy at least once in their life. And that, that happened to be you during the uh, New Orleans audition. So did you get to um, talk and hang out with Ryan Seacrest that much? No, no. Um, I don't remember if Ryan was there. I feel like Ryan was there that day or uh, those days that we were filming. Um, but no, I mean, you know, it's, it's something like that that, they kept the the cast or like the main talent pretty isolated. They came in, did what they needed to do, did their job and, and kind of got out of there. So okay. um, like I said, it was like a, it was like an early on stage uh, audition. It wasn't, it wasn't like what you would see in the main room with the three judges sitting there. And it, it was earlier than that as, as far as the audition process was. Right. So you cut people before they would have made it into the audition room with the big time judges. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. But I'm trying to think, I know Simon was gone by then. I think Steven Tyler was still one of the judges. But Yeah. Uh, I am, man. I don't remember. I don't remember. <laughs> you probably didn't get to I see was, much of them either. Did you? <laughs> I didn't know. I was there for a paycheck for sure. Yeah. <laughs> trying, trying to, trying to build my resume and survive new Orleans. There you go. You were Mr. Scissors. That's what we'll call you. <laughs> That's right. During the, uh, American Idol auditions. Fun, fun, fun. Now, you've worked, sir, as a uh, a set production assistant on movies such as uh, Green Pine Nine, also Old Days, and uh, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. But for, uh, for dummies like myself, who have no exposure to the film industry whatsoever, explain to us the uh, the responsibilities of a a set production assistant. Yeah. Um, so I'd say the first couple of movies you talked about were lower budget. I think Green Pine Nine was like, was a movie shot entirely in Louisville, um, oh, an indie film. Um, uh, Old Days was a movie shot in Indiana, but the director was Michael Rosenbaum, who is the, um, a WKU grad, I'm pretty sure. And, oh yeah, that uh, name sounds familiar. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he was an actor and directed and uh, decided to direct a movie called Old Days, and that was that. And then for Dawn of Planet of the Apes was uh, was in New Orleans, and that was kind of like my big break into getting onto a movie set and being involved as a set production assistant. So, in regards to what the heck that is, it is basically somebody who does, you know, whatever the show requires. So um, I may do lockups as a set production assistant, you know, making sure that the crowds are not coming into our shot while we're filming. Um, you know, you may get coffee for the director, for the cast. You may be, you may be shuttling the cast to and from set, getting them wired, getting them uh, with sound, getting them with props, um, taking them all, throughout making sure they're you know they're headed to set in the right direction you 
you're kind of just the liaison for a lot of different departments. Um, and your ultimate job is to help the director and to help the show any way that you can. Um, so it's, it's a lot of work uh, for anybody who's done it or taken the time to do it or has seen what a production, a set production assistant does. Um, they're usually the lowest paid on the, on the totem pole. Right. And they're probably treated with the least amount of respect. And it's usually not the most fun, but it can be. It can be at least a lot of fun to be around good people, good projects. And a lot of times for what we do and the amount of hours that we spend working on a movie set, um, you need to be surrounded by good people and people that you enjoy working with because they truly become your family. Uh, you spend usually a lot more time with them than you do you know, your wife, husband, boyfriend, girlfriend, you know, family in general. So your film right. family truly takes over. Yeah, they become your family for <laughs> for a while. And like I said, as, as a set production assistant, you know, you sort of go for this, go for that. You're doing whatever they ask to sort of keep the boat afloat. But that should not be uh, taken for granted. Now, uh, contrastingly, Stickler, you worked as an office production assistant on films like uh, Percy Jackson, Sea of Monsters, also Now You See Me. So uh, sort of describe how your role as office production assistant in uh, these films differed from your set production assistant duties that you performed in the uh, movies discussed previously. Yeah, so, you know, I started in the office. Um, I actually started in the office. That's where I got my foot in the door, truly. Um, with a movie that came into town, came into Louisville called uh, Secretariat. It was a Disney movie um, about Secretariat. And there was an, uh, there was an audition for like a call, call for background artists. You know, they were doing a big cattle call and they wanted as many people who wanted to be in the background of, I think it was probably one of the Derby, Kentucky Derby shots and sequences. And I knew I had zero interest of being a background artist in this film, but I wanted to work. I wanted to work on the set. I wanted to work, you know, on the crew and a buddy of mine, I know he wanted, he, I knew he wanted to be a background artist. And I said, well, look, you go, I'll go. So um, I went with him. We brought our, you know, headshots, our resumes. He dropped his off and he said, where are you going? I said, well, I'm going to go find the loudest person in the room and I'm going to ask them if I can work on this crew. And that's what I did. I found the loudest, loudest person in the room, walked right up to her. She was standing on a chair, screaming at everybody, telling everybody <laughs> to, you know, in a very nice way. But she was screaming at everybody, telling them, you know, just drop your resume here. Drop your headshot here. Thank you so much. You know, I was just trying to get all these people in as fast as possible and out of their hair as fast as possible. And I just walked up to her, looked up at her and said, hey you know, can I ask you a question? And she looked down at me and said, just put your resume over there. I said, I'd love to, but I have no interest in being in your movie. I want to work on. And uh, she stopped, got off the chair, went and got a piece of paper, wrote down an email address for me and said, send in your resume here, you know, no guarantees. And that's what I did. So I did that for about two or three days for about two or three weeks. <laughs> Everybody has a start. And for me, it was like, again, just get yourself in the room, you know, and, and it worked. And 
the production coordinator called me and said, please, God, stop emailing us. We've, we've received your resume. <laughs> um, and she was, uh, she's very lovely. She's awesome. She's a good friend of mine now. And, and she, uh, she said, look, I'll give you three days to prove you belong in this industry. And I said, great. And she said, do you have any questions? I said, no, that's awesome. Thank you. Then I hung up the phone. I'm running around the house. I'm so excited. I, you know, I'm going to get three days to work on this movie. And my mom looked at me and said, well, what are you going to do? And I said, I have no idea. And she said, well, do you need to bring a laptop? Do you need to do like, what, what do you need to bring with you? I said, well, I have no idea. And I quickly realized I probably should have asked a few questions. Uh, so luckily it all worked out in the end. But yeah, I started in the production office and it's different. It's different than working on set, uh, working on set. You're very on your feet 24-7. You're running around. It's nonstop. Um, in the office, it's chaos in the morning. It might be a little busy at lunch, and then it might be a little busy at the end of the night. Um, but you're answering calls. You're working with a different set of uh, crew members that, that you would in regards to if I was working on set. Um, but it was great. What I loved about it was I ended up doing probably – two, three, four shows in the office as a production assistant, uh, an office PA. And I loved it because it gave me the opportunity to see both worlds. It gave me the opportunity, opportunity to see and appreciate what the office staff does while the staff on set is busy working on the movie and then vice versa. You know, so it, it was to be able to understand and see both aspects of it, I think has helped me along the way because I can, I can talk with the office and understand what, their frustrations are. I can talk with them now and say, Hey, I know this is what you guys have to do. I know this is, um, this is where your headache is right now. Let me see what I can do to help with that. Um, whereas if I didn't have that understanding, then I maybe would just be a burden just like other people are, you know, but having that understanding of both worlds, I think it makes it, uh, better for me and, and hopefully better for the people that I work with that, you know, we're all on the same page and they see that I respect their job and what they're doing and appreciate it. And maybe it helps them respect me and my job as well a little bit more. Yeah. Cause you've been in their shoes and, you know, you sort of know what they're going through and their challenges. So we sort of, we sort of went in reverse order there, I guess, but uh, your office uh, production assistant duties is actually where, you know, where things started for you. And then you ultimately worked your way over to the set. Yes, definitely. Okay. Definitely so, yes. Started, in, started in the office and then, and then went to set. Yeah. There you go. So, <laughs> and then uh, all of this work that we've uh, been discussing, it uh, ultimately helped to propel you up to the um, assistant director position. And that's a role that you've held in uh, well-known movies. And those include, Let's see here. Goosebumps 2, Haunted Halloween, and uh, also a movie called Shaft, and Vacation Friends, and most recently, The Fablemans, directed by Steven Spielberg. So, uh, Stickler, tell us about the uh, the magic that you worked in uh, making these marvelous movies uh, a success as an assistant director. Yeah, you know... Um... It takes a lot of time and it takes a lot of effort and a lot of energy to work your way up. And so, you know, you start as a set production assistant, you have to accumulate so many days on set. So when I say days, I don't mean, you know, 365 days. 
I, I mean, 600 days and they're not just days. Like, it's not like, oh, okay, well, I didn't work this month, but it's okay because it counts towards my days. No, it doesn't. It, your days on physical set, you have to have at least 600 days as a set production assistant on various movies and TV shows. And then you have to turn in all this paperwork. It has to be approved by the Directors Guild of America. Um, you know, they review the book. They may throw some days out and call you and say, hey, you know, we're going to throw out 50 days. Sorry, you have to complete 50 more days. And so, you know, it oh, takes awesome. a while. So 50 it of your days years. may not count. Correct. Or 25 or 10. Or they may say, hey, you have plenty of days. So you're in. Welcome to the DGA. You know, um, welcome to the Directors Guild. So it, it takes a lot of time. So again, as a set production assistant, you're being put through the ringer and you're not getting paid much. And you're all you're doing it for a long run you know it's long-term goals is what you're trying to achieve um it's definitely a marathon and all you really want to do is sprint through it and there's just no way around it you know and so i tried to work as many shows and as many projects as a production as a set production assistant as i could to get into the dga as fast as possible um i wanted to ad i wanted to go to the next step i wanted to continue my career and I didn't want to get just lost within the production assistant track. Um, and so, yeah, you know, I've been fortunate enough to do some, some pretty great movies, like you, like you had mentioned, along with, you know, X-Men, Dark Phoenix, Stranger Things, uh, Free Guy, um, you know, and like you said, most recently, The Fablemans. Um, by the time this comes out, hopefully the third season of Mandalorian will be will have dropped or will be dropping soon i think it drops march 1st and okay so shortly you know, after pleasure. this comes out yeah yeah and so i had to had the pleasure of working working on that show and so you know again exactly like you said all, all these projects have been um fantastic and hopefully people have seen some of them and it, and hopefully they've enjoyed some of them but as far as getting to work as an assistant director you you kind of go from you know, being the top of the set PAs to now being the bottom of the assistant director. So a lot of these projects were as a second, second assistant director. Um, so as far as the hierarchy goes, there's a first assistant director, director, there's a second assistant director, and then there's a second, second. So you're um, the number two, number two. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, you know, and, and that's, that's your staff. You know, and then so the those group of people work hand in hand with uh, with the crew and with the production and uh, ultimately with the director to help help tell their story. So I guess you're you, you're sort of the person that the um, set production assistants and the office production assistants answer to most of the time. The set production assistants, definitely, yeah. the The office is is set up with um, their own set of hierarchy and and who who runs them and, and stuff for, but for me, I, my, my position when I, when I work as a second, second uh, assistant director, my position is basically to be the right hand of the first AD. So I'm on set every day. I'm working with him. I'm working with the director. I'm setting all the background. I'm, you know, creating these stories and these visual aspects for the director in regards to, you know, how things are moving within the scene and with the, uh, with the background actors, um, I'm also managing the production assistants, making sure they're in the right places, make sure they're going where they need to go, making sure they're getting all the information they need to do their jobs. So it's very logistics uh, driven, um, but 
then it's also creative in, in the terms of what I have to do for the background, what I have to do for the director, what I have to do for stunts and um, all these different different departments. And then just to, just to try to help out and make sure that everything runs smoothly. Um, yeah. Every day, every day we're trying to make the day. We're trying to, we have like a goal of every day we need to accomplish this amount of work in this amount of time. And some days we can do it, other days not so much. And uh, it's tough, but, um, but yeah, so it's, it's very, it's very, uh, it's very logistical, but it's also, it also has its creative moments, which is what I love. Sure. You're just, uh, you know, helping to keep the, the boat afloat, but uh, in a different manner. And that's, uh, you know, that was really exciting for you. So you were first welcomed into the Directors Guild in, was it 2018? Yeah, I'd say it was probably, I'd say it was probably 20, oh Lord, probably 2017. Probably okay. About what it was. Yeah, yeah somewhere around I know there. Goosebumps 2 came out in 2018. Yeah, you know, I got my first day. I was working on a movie um, as a key production assistant. I was working um, on a movie called Logan with um, about with Hugh Jackman plays Wolverine. And when we were shooting that on the last day of the movie, I had had all my days in already and the show wanted my bosses wanted to give me like my first, they wanted to give me my first day as an assistant director on, on that movie. Um, and, you know, it was pretty amazing. It, the director, James Mangold also wanted to do whatever he could to help make that a possibility for me. Uh, which I, I really appreciate still to this day that he even cared enough to want to do that. Um, and the show ultimately did. They, you know, my book got in, my book got processed, got approved. Um, and I was able to have my first day as an assistant director on the last day of filming of Logan. So with Hugh Jackman. So that was, was a pretty great experience and something that I definitely appreciated and um, will never forget. But it was a cool way to start. <laughs> well, that was an eventful day. The last day of Logan was your first day <laughs> in the uh, the director's guild. So I know that was uh, exciting kind of chaos, so to speak. Definitely. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Absolutely. And you're uh, a little over five years now, I guess, uh, in the director's guild and still going strong. Now, David, you've been blessed to meet and work alongside a number of uh, big industry names that you and many of us have certainly looked up to, like Steven Spielberg. So I was wondering if you could give us some examples of some times when you were particularly starstruck and tell us what you remember most about uh, your introduction to these individuals. Yeah, you know, it's it's tough. Yeah, um, It's tough because you're there to do a job. Right. right. They're, they're there to do a job. You're hired to do this job. You're not hired to be a fan. Um, you know, and I've had interviews, like when I interviewed for Star Wars, when I interviewed for Mandalorian, you know, they asked me, they said, hey, do you, do you like Star Wars? Are you a fan of the show? And it was a tough question because I knew if I said, oh my gosh, yes, I'm the biggest Star Wars fan ever, they may say, great, we don't we don't want to hire you because you're going to be too big of a fan. But oh, I also uh -huh. didn't want to be like, you know, I also didn't want to be like, Oh no, I've never seen star Wars before. Uh, because one, it'd be a lie. 
course I'm a Star Wars fan. <laughs> sure. <laughs> uh, you know, and so so it was one of those things where it was it was very it's like that with every job. Um, you don't ever want to be too big of a fan. You don't ever want to not look like you don't care. And then when you're there doing the job, um, when you're there, when you're there doing the job, you you're there to work. So I would say as far as being starstruck, um, you know, I'd say early on, honestly, I got to do a commercial with Anthony Davis and I, you know, maybe it's just cause I'm a sports guy, but I, I thought that was the coolest thing ever. I did a oh, yeah. commercial with Anthony Davis and they needed somebody, you know, Anthony wanted to warm up and they were like, somebody play basketball. They might want to just, you know, help him more. I was like, yeah, I'll do it. You know, so just being out there and like passing balls to Anthony Davis while he's like warming up when he still played for the Pelicans and stuff. That was, that was incredible for me as a Kentucky fan and oh, as sure. a basketball fan. Um, and Anthony so Davis was, was on that 2012 team that won it all. <laughs> yes, of course. Of course. Uh, <laughs> We we got to bring another one back, Sam. My goodness, we do. It's uh, we're in a ten year drought, aren't we? <laughs> yeah. Oh, let's not keep track. Um, <laughs> but uh, but you know, so as, as far as being starstruck, you know, I would say um, there there are definitely you know certain actors that have been an absolute actors and actresses that have been an absolute pleasure to work with, directors that have been an absolute pleasure to work with. Um, you know, doing Free Guy with Sean Levy doing stranger things with Sean Levy and the Duffer brothers and, and things like that. Those, those guys are all amazing to work with. Um, and I, and I love just being on their sets. Uh, Sean, Sean Levy is one funny guy, uh, but he, again, is professional. He's respectful and um, he's the type of boss that, you know, you enjoy going to work for and that, and that you want, to see great things happen to him and for him. Um, and he'll continue to do amazing projects as, as he goes along, you know, Antoine Fuqua um, was another director that I absolutely love today, you know, still today to, uh, to work with and, and enjoy him as a person and the projects that he puts out. Um, and then of course, you know, Taika Waititi having a chance to work with him was, was incredible. Um, Stephen was probably yeah. Stephen was probably the most starstruck one. Um, yeah, it had to be at least a little intimidating the first time you came face to face with him. <laughs> you know, it yes, it is, it is, and then you just have to put your game face on and go to work. But um, it, I'll say what helped is the fact that it, you know when we were shooting the Fablemans, it was completely during like hardcore COVID time, and so we're all masked up. We're all getting tested three, four or five times a week. Um, so a lot of times, you know, Steven's in a mask, we're in a mask and it made that mask over Steven's face. You can only see his eyes and his hat and like, you just, you knew it was Steven, of course, but like it made it better. It made it better. Cause it was like, Oh, that could, could be anybody behind that mask right now. Uh, maybe it's not Steven, but, uh, but yeah, there were there were moments the first time I had the opportunity to meet him and be on set with him and interact with him. Um, you know, you try to keep it together and sure. you, you know, again, as anybody in the industry, they they all grew up watching his movies. And of course, as we talked about, it was a big uh, passion of mine were his films as a kid and and everything. And then to come full circle was pretty surreal. And um 
but you know, you kind of give yourself the moments in between, you know, my, my moments of, oh my gosh, I can't believe this on the Fablemans were, were when we had, you know, two minutes, you know, maybe during lunch or when we had five minutes and I'm like just talking with one of my set PAs and, you know, we see Steven off to the side and he's just grabbing a, you know, super eight camera and shooting film. And, and it's just like, man, you know, you give yourself those moments of saying, how cool is this? And then you get back to work. Um, and, and it was a lot of that. I think as long as you, you put it into perspective and, and you give yourself those, those few moments of how cool is this? I think it helps you just get through the day of not trying to accidentally be too big of a fan. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just knowing, knowing how to mix the the business and the pleasure, shall we say? Definitely. Definitely. <laughs> That's yeah. A... But but it was absolutely, of course. Stephen Stephen was Stephen was the biggest one, you know. And and to be to be to say that anybody wouldn't be starstruck by him to even the smallest degree would they'd probably be lying. Right. Um, so, <laughs> but I think it's just I think it's just managing it, you know, just under understanding that everybody's got a job to do and you're hired to do the job. So. Yeah, <laughs> knowing how to channel it. And I know you ended up having a, a very, very positive uh, experience there with Stephen. Now, David, what do you believe to be the most important and valuable lessons that you've learned from your experience in the film slash television production realm thus far? Um, You know, Sam, I'd say the most valuable things I have learned from my job um, that I continue to take with me and and try to try to offer up or implement to other production assistants coming up is is just work hard you know I tell people all the time when I'm interviewing them um, I tell them all the time I, I don't care what you know I, I really don't I don't care how talented you are I, I don't care I don't care that you have never worked on a movie set before what I care about is that you're a good person. I care that you care and I care that you're going to hustle and you're going to work hard. If you can do all of those things, if you can have a good attitude, if you can hustle and you're just a genuinely good person, I can teach you the rest. And I think by doing that, that gives everybody an opportunity to pursue what they want to pursue. And, you know, if I, if I set, a bar that said, you know what, you have to have these 10 films before I can hire you and you have to do this kind of project. And if you don't know that, why well, I, I limit everybody Then I put people in a box and I, and I exclude so many. And I, I just, that's never been what I wanted for hiring a staff. Um, I don't care who you are. I don't care where you come from. I don't care race. I don't care. You know, I, I just don't care. What I care about is that you're a good person, that you work hard and the rest we can teach you. So um, yeah. I think I, I try to just live by that and try to work by that kind of mentality. And, you know, it's, again, we work 18 hours a day, a lot of times with the same people. So why would I want to work with anybody who has a bad attitude, who doesn't right. want to be there, uh, you know, and, it, and it's just not enjoyable for anybody. It won't be enjoyable for that person. But when you work with people, even if they're brand new and they've never had the opportunity to work on a movie set before, and then they get this opportunity and it's great because it kind of shows you what you were like when you first started. Um, but also, you know, it's like that, that was me, you know, I just needed, 
I needed a chance to get into a room to prove that I belong. And somebody gave me a chance. And then another person gave me a chance. And then, you know, and so on and so forth. So, you know, I try to pay it, uh, pay it forward as much as I can. But Wrong. the advice I tell, tell people all the time, tell students all the time, is just be a good person, work hard, you know, and don't be afraid of what you don't know. Uh, and, yeah. and I think you can, you can go far. Because you don't glide your way up the ladder overnight, do you? No, my gosh. No, definitely not. <laughs> not in my case, that's for sure. A lot of, a lot of hard work and hustle and sacrifice. Uh, a lot of yeah. sacrifice that I definitely know my, um, my family. I'm sure my family would wish that they could see me more, but they, they understand and they, they're very supportive and, and stuff. But they, they've had to sacrifice just as much as I have. Oh sure, eighteen hour days. I tell you that that requires a lot of passion and and stick to itiveness to uh, to survive those. So you're you're no stranger to to being sleep deprived, are you? Uh, no, no, not at all. That that probably is like a prerequisite for being in our industry. Uh, just, can you run on lack of sleep? You know, yeah. fill in this ad right here. Um, but yeah, no, you, your body adjusts doesn't mean it's good for it, but, um, you know, those are the bad days, like something like 18 hours would be a bad day. The industry's done really well with kind of getting better standards put into place and things like that. But for our positions and where you start as a production assistant on set, yeah, your hours are pretty bad. So yeah, but the uh, adrenaline, (laughs) yeah, yeah, yeah. The adrenaline keeps you going and caffeine too. I'm sure. Are, Are you a coffee man or a Coke man? You know what? I, I, uh, I don't drink coffee and, um, I do my best to stay away from sodas. Um, so it's honestly probably a miracle that I stay awake on set. I don't really know, but uh, you just real creative. (laughs) Yes, sir. Definitely. Goodness. I'd have to have, you know, coffee and Cokes depending on what time of the day it was, but anyhow, right. Right. (laughs) You know, whatever it takes to, to, to get through. Well, David, we've sure uh, enjoyed this conversation for sure. Now, one last item before we uh, dismiss you here. Uh, what are David Stickler's future goals and aspirations? Uh, man, Sam, that's tough, brother. I, I tell I'm you, so for somebody happy. that's already accomplished so much, I mean. <laughs> no, 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 my gosh, no. I, Hard you know, to know you where don't... to go. <laughs> I, I will say this. I, I don't accomplish anything alone. Um, you know, it takes a village and it takes a lot of people, like I said, giving people chances. Um, ultimately, you know, I have to do the job. Yes. But um, I don't accomplish anything alone. My family sacrifice, my wife sacrifice, uh, my friends, my time. You know, there's a lot that's put into getting to even where I'm at now. And I think I say this to people all the time. It doesn't matter what your career is. You know, if you look back on everything you've done, you've, you've probably sacrificed, you know, when people look back, they're like, oh yeah, I guess I did. I did sacrifice this. I did sacrifice that. And it's, I think it's a testament to anybody who has succeeded in what they want to do. And for me, this is what I wanted to do. And so, yes, I've given up a lot to do it. Um, And I'm so content. I'm so content on where I'm at right now. Um, You know, I know my hope is to continue to just climb the ladder. Um, I have no interest in, in directing, you know, and people ask all the time, do you want to direct? I, I say, no, I, I love helping directors tell their stories. You know, some directors may take three years, two years, one year, five years, eight years, whatever it is to tell one story. 
And for me, within that time frame, I can tell and help tell so many stories and get to work on so many projects and be a part of so many people's lives. And I think that is ultimately for me, the coolest experience are the people that I meet, the places I get to go. Um, so, you know, I, I would, I would love to continue just to climb the ladder of where I'm at within my job and continue to, you know, key second AD and first AD and, um, you know, and maybe produce down the road, but ultimately where I'm at right now, this is, this is happiness for me. This is a blessing, you know, a kid from Kentucky. I question whether or not I should even be here a lot. Um, you know, <laughs> the, the car, the cards are always stacked against places like Kentucky where there's not a lot of film. And I know there's more in Kentucky now, and I'm so proud of what the film commission has been doing uh, within Louisville and within the surrounding areas. But when I was coming up there, what, there was not that same push for filmmaking. So I'm, I am so proud of what they're doing and I, I, happy to see that it continues to grow and that people are going to be able to get opportunities. But um, I'd say the next chapter of my life, man, is just, I, I am most looking forward to what I'm most looking forward to has nothing to do with work. What I am most looking forward to is, is being a dad. I have a son on the way in June. And oh, congratulations. Yeah. It's a big secret. Uh, don't tell anybody. But um, <laughs> um, yeah, so just being being a dad, you know, my little guy gets here in June and um, I'm hoping, hoping to take a little time off. I'm working my butt off right now. Maybe and a few hours. A movie. <laughs> yeah, you know, finishing up on a movie now and, and stuff. And so hopefully by the time he gets here in June, I can just focus on being a dad and, and just uh, enjoying that. And so that's that next chapter of my life is is what I'm most looking forward to works great, but, um, you know, there, there are bigger things than just, just work. And, and I'm, uh, I'm okay with that. That's interesting though. So being a, the head honcho director just, uh, doesn't, uh, doesn't seem like your cup of tea. Not for me. No, you know, I gotcha. love the, I love the stress of the logistics. I love, uh, I love, again, just, I love being a part of the process and helping tell stories and being creative. Um, but there's something ultimately that I get out of helping others and helping a director tell their story and seeing their excitement for it is it fills my cup enough. So I'm, I'm good. Yeah. I'm good well, that's that. like in, in sports, you know, there's a lot of assistant coaches out there that are no doubt pretty content with being assistant coaches, you know? So. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> or the same deal in the in the production realm as well so i know that um you know you have your facebook david stickler on facebook where else would you suggest that people go to find out and keep up with uh with what's going on in the world of david stickler yeah you know i'm i'm uh i'm i'm an old hat so i i i don't post a lot on facebook or things like that you know i may post every so often if um you know, like we, we did an award ceremony last night. And so I, I posted about that and then, um, but I, you know, so you, you may follow me and then be like, oh my gosh, he never, never posts anything. So I apologize. But uh, Instagram, I have Instagram, uh, which is again, just my, my first name and my last name. It's real boring. Um, hey, nothing wrong I don't, with it. <laughs> yeah. I don't really, I don't really post a lot there either. You know, again, I, I kind of keep to myself as much as I can. And um you know, He'll share with people. you what he wants you to know. Yeah, you know, and it's <laughs> it's one of those it's it's one of those things, man, where it's like 
I, I just working so many hours, I don't, I don't have a lot of time. It's not that I'm trying to hide from anybody or to not be social, but you know, when I have time off, you know, I spend all day talking and I spend all day running around and, you know, managing 200, 300, 400, 500 background and, you know, do all these things. And then hope it's just all I want to do is sleep. Yeah. So sleep uh, and watch the occasional UK basketball. <laughs> oh, well, there's always times to wake up and watch that. Don't worry about that. So, <laughs> yes. Um, but yeah, you know, if you want to follow along, I would say just searching in, you know, my first name, my last name and into IMDB um, is like a movie database and you can see what projects I'm working on and you can see, uh, you know, maybe there's, maybe there's some of those on, on my IMDB page that you've never seen before and um, want to check out. And, you know, I definitely recommend going through and, and seeing, seeing those and um, definitely would, would plug the, the Fablemans if, if it's a movie this year that you just haven't had the opportunity to see uh, for anybody, I would say, you know, get out there and, and check it out. It's a good family film and uh, it's very inspiring for anybody that wants to do film or TV. I think it's very inspiring or if anybody has a passion for anything, I think uh, they'll see a lot of themselves within the film. Yeah, so make time to uh, check out the great work of Stickler and Steven Spielberg and the Fablemans. And, uh, oh, by the way, David's phone number is 502. No, I'm just kidding. We won't give out your phone number. But, uh, <laughs> Thanks, Sam. I appreciate it, brother. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, this has uh, been fabulous. I have certainly enjoyed catching up with you again. I hope you've enjoyed it, sir. Sam, again, I know you and I talked a few minutes before we started recording this, and I'm just going to say it again, but it's been an absolute pleasure not only to be on this today, but to be your friend for so many years. Um, I am glad our paths crossed so, so many years ago, and I know that means we're old and getting older, but like you said, age is just a number, and uh, keep <laughs> yeah. doing what you're doing. Seriously, keep doing what you're doing. I love it. Um, I love following along. I'm glad. To, uh, to be just a listener and to, uh, to be on this and to have this opportunity to talk with you today and, and stuff is uh, an absolute pleasure. So thank you. You're amazing. And keep, keep doing exactly what you're doing. I love it. Oh, look, actually, folks, he's nicer to me than I deserve. But anyway, keep up the, uh, the fine, fine work. We wish you nothing but uh, continued success and, and plenty of fun times with uh, with the baby on the way stick. And uh, if you're up for it, we'll do this again sometime, my friend. Always. Anything for you always, Sam. You know that, brother. Thank you so much. You know, David Stickler has already accomplished more in his, what, 36 years, I guess, now on this great earth than uh, many people do over the course of a lifetime. And I know that if his little one ends up growing up to be anything like him, he's going to be another dynamo and certainly will excel in all of his endeavors. So we wish David nothing but the best. I got a feeling that's not going to be our last time to chat it up here on Blabbing in the Bluegrass. I thoroughly enjoyed his company, and thank you once again to Wildman Brian Oaks, our mutual friend, for hooking us up so that we could do this, uh, this fabulous visit. And I know, beyond the shadow of a doubt, that there are plenty more Kentuckians doing big, big things, not just in the film industry, but also musicians and authors, and athletes, and also educators in the classroom, healthcare professionals. If they have connections to Kentucky, I want to know about them, because try as I may to get around and get to know these people, I don't know 
Everybody, there's no way that can happen, so I'm counting on you via email. My address is bluegrassblabbing at gmail.com. B-L-U-E-G-R-A-S-S-B-L-A-B-B-I-N at gmail.com. If they are connected to Kentucky, I am more than glad to consider them for future show features. So don't be shy about emailing me or Facebooking me via the Blabbing in the Bluegrass Facebook page. We need you to like and follow the page as well because all the shows we have done to this point are right there for your listening pleasure. If you are a new kid on the blog, don't worry. We welcome new kids on the blog, but we encourage you to go back and uh, listen to some of the guests that you missed. We know that you'll at least enjoy a handful of them, and you owe it to yourself to uh, go back and uh, give those folks an ear, okay? Also, you can uh, stay up to date on the Facebook page with teasers I put out for future shows. I put those teasers out uh, about once a week or so. And you can make comments, and you can leave messages. I love interacting with listeners on the Facebook page, too. Now, March 1st, that's when we'll come at you next. That's hard to believe we'll be in March. Not only will it be the first Wednesday in March, it will be the first day in March. So, March 1, good Lord willing, and the creek don't rise, we will be back. So, make sure that you grace us with your presence, because, believe me when I tell you, that you are the glue that keeps this boat afloat. I could not do it without you and your support and your friendship. So come on back and let's keep doing this thing, okay? Now, before we put this thing to bed, one final very important order of business that we need to tend to, and that is answering this week's Bluegrass Brain Buster from the beginning of the show. Now, we don't have a super rich history of filmmaking here in the Commonwealth, but we have had... Our shining moments. One shining moment. Okay, I'll quit singing Luther Vandross, but I tell you, it's getting close to March Madness. We'll hear that song soon enough. But anyway, uh, one of our shining moments was back in the 1950s. I wanted to know, uh, what was the movie that was filmed partially in Union County, Kentucky, back in the mid-1950s? That was Davy Crockett and the River Pirates. Davy Crockett... And the River Pirates, that was a precursor to Davy Crockett, King of the Wild Frontier. And it was filmed in part in Union County back in June of 1955. And the movie starred Fess Parker along with Buddy Epson. Those two teamed up for a number of fabulous films back in the 50s. And interestingly enough, Carl Dimplewolf, a businessman from nearby Henderson, supplied a tugboat and a barge for the movie filming. Again, that was Davy Crockett and the River Pirates. Everybody knows the Davy Crockett series. Even if you weren't actually alive back when those movies were uh, making it big, you undoubtedly saw at least a few of them in uh, the years afterwards. So, one of those was partially filmed in Union County, that being Davy Crockett and the River Pirates back in 19. 55, and that is your answer for this week's Brain Buster. Come on back for another one next week. And between now and then, do know that you can listen and subscribe to the show, and it could not be any cheaper. It's free of charge, and you can do so 
via Apple, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Verbal. We have also, not long ago, added podcast directories such as Boomplay, Amazon Music, iHeartRadio, even a few others. So if we're not currently a part of your favorite podcast directory, email me, Facebook me that information so that we can do everything in our power to make sure that we're there ASAP. And until next time, keep laughing, keep smiling, and most importantly, keep blabbing in the bluegrass. Because we're blabbing, blabbing in the bluegrass. There's nothing here to hide because we're saying it with pride. Just a blabbing, blabbing in the bluegrass. With knowledge of the state, you're sure to appreciate. Yes, we're blabbing, blabbing in the bluegrass. Where musicians furnish talent and great whiskey cools your palate. Just a blabbing, blabbing in the bluegrass. With a fit for every taste, precious time is not to waste.